Okay, our text is in Nahum chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, the last two verses of the book, and we're finishing it. Now, I may be the only person, but I've been here for every sermon of the book of Nahum. Okay, and um, we've titled this, Looking to the End Results. You come to the end of the book, and you think, well, what is the end result? And You know, sometimes you do things and you keep on doing them and you find out the end result wasn't good because the thing was wrong to begin with. Kind of like the man that was in jail, saw a chance to escape, he took off. I mean, he took off running, went through swamps and everything. The dogs couldn't follow him. would go through those snake-infested waters and made it to the other side and then down into the forest, real deep into the forest. And, And there was a house in which was the house that he lived. He went and knocked on the door. I mean, the police had tried to follow him, catch him. They, they just lost him, had no idea where he lived. Gets there, knocks on the door. His wife opens the door, and she says, Where have you been? You escaped six hours ago, and where have you been all the six hours? Okay. So, again, he might have wished he was back in jail. Okay. So, so it's uh, the end result was not as good as he thought it would be. Well, sometimes we get involved because the work seems to be religious. We think it's good. But if it's not God's will, God's way, it's never good. So as we look here, we see in verses 18 and 19, the shepherds slumber. O king of Assyria, thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth them. There is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brute of thee shall clap their hands over thee. For upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually? Now shall we pray. Father, help us now as we go into your word. I pray thy spirit, the very spirit of God, would make this very clear to each one. And Lord, give things in each heart that... I don't even say tonight, but thy Holy Spirit takes it to the heart and just do a special work in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, we saw here in verses 17 and 18 the, the, fellow, the, the, the failure, should I say, of leadership. It mentioned the crown, the captains, and the shepherds. The crown represented the government in that day that would uh, include the kings, the princes, and the, the lawmakers of the day. And, and they are the ones that that failed the people. And then it speaks of the captains. And we know by the earlier study in this book that the, the captains, the military, they forsake, they run, they leave the people to defend themselves and there's no defense. And then the shepherds who represent the, the both uh, regular shepherds but also the religious uh, leaders of their day. And, and so you have all of that involved here in, in this ending of the book. You know, in time of war, there are shelters for presidents as well as for those that are the, the generals, the captains, and so forth of the military. They have shelters where they go, and, and, and they're protected from everything, and yet they're on top of everything as far as what's supposed to be coming in. And so they have that protection that uh, the rest of the people won't have. There'll be the regular soldiers, there'll be the law enforcement out there on the streets and trying to take care of things, but really, they're hid. These others are hid. And, and so the enemy doesn't get to them right away. 
You know, I've always wondered about that. You ever think about that? They have a place to hide them. And then they wonder why we need a wall. I mean, they're in a gated community. And they wonder why we need a wall, you know. Let, just let them come on in. Well, I, I don't see that uh, is, is the way to go, all right. And, and so these guys that are supposed to be the, the leaders, the, these leaders, escape by whatever routes uh, that were made for that purpose. They escape. The soldiers, they, they, they abandon their positions and, and the shepherds slumber helping the enemy. And those that are supposed to be the leaders and, and, and those that are supposed to be the people that are acting heroically for their country, their patriotism for Nineveh, for Assyria, is based only on how it affects their livelihood. You know, leaders who are narcissistic are people, as in Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. The Assyrian nation at this time is the number one power in the world, and it will fall in one night. God is not limited in his power, and he can bring down any world power in one night. And... Here it is, Nineveh, its capital. It's a place of sin. Their drinking, their idolatry, their adultery, the immorality, uh, and then, then that that is opposed, the act of opposition to the equivalent of what you and I would call a Judeo-Christian ethic, of that which is right, what, that which is moral, that which is good. They enjoyed their sin. But the end result was not worth it all. It wasn't worth it at all. The world's shepherds slumber and sleep, we're told in our text here. The good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't sleep on his sheep. One day, he will gather his own, and we'll find the truth of the following scriptures in Hebrews, for an example, chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Isn't that great? Our Lord never leaves us, nor forsakes us. We don't protect him, he protects us. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And by the way, it's the fear of man, Proverbs tells us, that bringeth a snare. Fear God, not man. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I feel heaven and earth, saith the Lord? The omnipresent God is, sees everything. And guess what? None. Absolutely none of his sheep are ever lost. Man, my salvation is secure. Not because I've secured it. He secures it. I've heard pastors say, I can never lose my salvation. And I, I think I understand what they're saying. But it's not mine to keep or lose. The Lord keeps me. We're kept by him and by his power. Now, a place is reserved in heaven for all of those that are the sheep of our Lord. Satan, 
who is the shepherd of man. You might say the shepherd of the goats, those without Christ. He cannot follow. He cannot help. In hell, he'll be tormented night and day himself, much worse than the other people in hell. No. Satan won't be able to help, let alone care for his own. But our Lord has a place for each of us who've received him as Lord and Savior. Isn't it interesting that at that final, at, the, at that judgment that near the end of the tribulation, the end of tribulation, we have the goats and the sheep. But if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You want to go from a goat to a sheep? Go to Jesus Christ. Okay, because he takes care of his own. And, and just think of what we have for us. We not only have a beautiful place that Revelation 21 describes, that, that great city descending from God out of heaven that hath 12 foundations, each one of, of, of different jeweled stones and tells of the stones there and, and the size of this place. It, it, it is so wide that it is as like from Denver, Colorado to the, to the Atlantic Ocean. It's not only that wide, it's that deep, and it's that high. It's four square, the Bible tells us. This city has streets of gold that is so pure that it's as transparent glass. Jesus Christ is the light, and he's seven times brighter than the sun. So you think of all those jeweled stones and the 12 foundations. You think of those gates of pearl. You think of those streets of gold, those walls of gold. Can you imagine that light shining through and, and the, the, the brightness and the colors it's giving off to the new earth? People talk about wonders of the world. That'll be a wonder that goes for all eternity. What a place, and that's reserved for us. And notice what he does for us in Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5. After the thousand years of the millennium are over, and Satan tried one more time, and, and he's thrown into the lake of fire. After all of that is over, Revelation 21, 4 and 5 says, For his own, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, For these words are true and faithful. You see, you may go through suffering now. As a matter of fact, all those that live godly in Christ Jesus in this life will suffer persecution. But you get there and you see that great city of God reserved for you. He has, he's prepared a mansion, a house, a dwelling place for you. It will be worth it all. So live righteous and holy all your days by God's word and God's power. Don't give in to the flesh. Walk in the spirit of God. Now Assyria had confidence along with its king and nobles. They didn't think they could be defeated. But they are deceived by that great deceiver. The father of lies. They have a misplaced confidence and trust in that one who is never worthy of trust. And oh, what a picture of the last days 
of the tribulation when the Antichrist has risen up. And, and we see about him, uh, we, we see a military and a power the Antichrist seems to have worldwide. In the last days of that tribulation, and because of the advancements today in science and military and other areas of academia and, and economy, they have an attitude of, who can make war with me? Nineveh had that attitude. And they cease. And in the Antichrist, in that tribulation, they'll have that same attitude. In, we see the declaration in Psalms chapter 76, verses 5 and 6, the stout-hearted are spoiled. They have... Uh, slept their sleep, and none of the men of might have found their hands. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse are cast into a deep, dead sleep. They will realize, they'll realize when the blood flows to the horse's bridle in that tribulation hour, that certainly the Antichrist is defeatable. You'll notice in those days, people are deceived. And it says in Revelation 13, verses 3 through 5, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. You know, Nineveh was that way. They thought, who can make war with us and win? We're the Assyrian kingdom. We are number one in this world. Who can make war? Who can win against us? And in that day of the Antichrist, of the tribulation hour, we're told there he has a deadly wound that is healed. And people think it's a miracle. I think it's a deceptive thing, but they believe that he's actually been raised from the dead. And as he stands there and, and, and he leads the world and he leads these various kingdoms. They've got to receive the mark and all that. But he stands and he challenges God. He challenges God. You know, the story is told of, a, of an atheist who made, who made it his thing to go around and hold speeches against God. This was years ago, and I believe it was in Canada, where near his home place, but he, wherever it was, he was speaking. And he said... If there is a God, I challenge him right now to strike me dead in the next five minutes. Had a watch set up there. A minute, not dead yet. And he just kept on and mocking and making fun of it. Went through it. And, he's, and he let him know, well, God didn't send his bolt of lightning and strike me dead. And he made fun of it and he went on and gave his talk. That evening he went home and put his hand on the door, and a bug bit him, and it killed him. God didn't need to mess with lightning to kill that, the likes of him. But, you know, you don't tell God when he's going to do something and when he's not going to do something. 
He's God. He's the creator. He's the all in all. So we don't tell him. He tells us. He tells us. And that's the lesson we have to learn. He tells us. And so this old devil, this antichrist, he blasphemes God. He deceives the people. And then there's the false prophet that is with him. He gets in on it. You see, he's like the slumbering shepherds in Nineveh's day. And we read about that false prophet in Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb. You see, that's the deception of it. Like a lamb. Oh, this is a person of peace. And he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and then which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. You see now he's emulating Elijah. And I believe he'll deceive many Jews and many people around the world that, hey, this is Elijah, come back. In order to deceive and mislead the people, and he calls down fire. And it goes on to say, and he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth, they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword. And did live. You know, Revelation 13 is very interesting because you see some similarities to Nineveh, but you've got the dragon, that's Satan, that's the old devil. Then you've got the Antichrist, kind of like the, the, the king, you know, and he plays his part in there. And then you've got the, the, the false prophet. And, and, you know, when you look at these three, I see, I see a couple things. First of all, what do we have? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they try to emulate. Satan tries to emulate God, but he's not God. He tried to replace God. He said, I will exalt my throne above the, on, above the Lord, on, you know, on the sides of the north. He was going to exalt himself. And the Lord says, no, you're going to be cast down to hell. And he will be. He will be. So this false prophet deceives from a religious standpoint. As Nineveh was deceived by its leaders and its false religion, the king and the nobles aren't there for the people in that day. Just as the beast and the false prophet, they are cast into that eternal lake of fire. Not just what is hell. You see, hell is where... Men, when they die without Christ, go now, but that's kind of like going to jail. And then after the great white throne judgment, they're cast into the eternal lake of fire. That's like going to prison with no, no chance of a reprieve. And so, they're there forever. Well, the Antichrist and the false prophet, they are cast into the lake. They're the first two cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. There'll never be an escape for them. The people, they will be scattered. And their God cannot gather them in Nineveh. 
Well, verse 6 showed all kinds of men, great and small. Or should I say in Revelation chapter 6, shows all kinds of men, great and small. Praying to rocks. Praying to mountains. Fall on us. Fall on us. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Isn't that interesting? You never think, I've got a lamb. You come into my yard, I'm going to have that lamb sick to you. But here are captains and here are great men and mighty men of the earth. And they say, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. But you see, this is no ordinary lamb. This is the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they say, hide us. But there is no place that you can hide from God. He's the omnipresent as well as the omnipotent God. You know, our hearts break. For those who could become God's sheep and hear his voice and follow him. But I'm afraid today we have too many shepherds that are asleep. And not warning them to flee the wrath to come as did John the Baptist. So calling the flock to holiness, righteousness, and faith, and true repentance... That's the job of the preacher. That's the job that we have individually one-on-one. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, that's addressed to Christians, by the way. It says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. You know what he means by that, fashioning? Not emulating. Not trying to take your Christian life and emulate the sin of the world, but try to justify it because you're using the name of Jesus. They're dressing half naked in the church. They're getting up there singing, doing a dance, and shaking their bodies in a way they shouldn't. They've got music that is straight out of hell, and, and they think it's just because they'll add a name of Jesus or something else into it. That is a big, fat, no good, rotten sin. Don't bother to email, you'll be wasting your time. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for that. But you see, it's not only not fasting yourselves with those things, but there's something else. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all matter of conversation, all matter of your life. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Boy, that's a high standard. I can't live up to it. God is holy. I'll never be as holy as he is. But I can allow his spirit to be in me and have full control and help bring us to that point. And that's the thing that we need to do. At times, it is deceiving by the prophets. But they're deceived themselves so many times. You know, sometimes the deception is this. I've had people come up and say, I heard so-and-so, and you know what? He said a lot of good things. I listened to him on TV. I watched him on, I watched him on TV. I heard him on the radio, and it, it was really good. And you know what? A lot of times that's true. But here's the point. Many times it's not what they say. It's what they don't say. See, that's the deception. It's what they avoid saying. It's what they won't say. And you say, oh, they're, they're one of us. 
They're just like we are. They do a few things a little bit differently, but they're just us. No, they're not us. They're not us. Because they will hide part of the counsel of God. At times it's deceiving by the prophets. And other times it's just out there deceiving ourselves. The flesh will desire the rock music and the contemporary. But when there is a flesh that's desiring that, there's other flesh that doesn't want that. But they want to feel like they're intellectually above the rest. And they're deceived by the abomination of Calvinism. And I call that abomination without apology as well. You say, why is that? Simply this. There's, oh, there's a lot of strong teachings. I've, I've read some books by some that have said some good and deep things. But the point is this. They believe that some people are elected to go to hell so there's no way they can ever get saved. Some people are elected to go to heaven. They actually believe if you read Calvinism, you'd find out they believe that a person is regenerated. If they're already elected, they're already regenerated. But they should make a decision to pray and ask the Lord to save them. And that's intellectual. If you're already saved, why do you pray and ask the Lord to save you? And, and I've, I've heard some of them say that if you are elected to go to heaven, even if you died without praying a prayer and asking the Lord to save you, you'd go to heaven because you've been elected to go. You know, I still believe the Bible. I don't know how many times I'd have to say whosoever will for it to be true, whosoever will. I still believe that the Bible says that we were created in God's image and God is a spirit. And therefore, we have a free will because God has a free will. So I don't understand why we've got to twist the scriptures in order to try to make people think, well, this is more intelligent to say this. It is not more intelligent. The words may be bigger, but they're not necessarily wise nor intelligent. But sometimes you get into some of these things that are very academic, and they deceive. They deceive. They give arrogance. They give pride. We, we've got it, and they don't. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. I've always wanted to say, I haven't done that. I haven't done this. Maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a weakling. I haven't done this. But I've wanted to go to someone that's claimed they're a Calvinist and be up there when their baby's born. And I wanted to say to them, boy, I hope that he's elected. I hope that child's elected so he doesn't go to hell. Doesn't that drive it home? Wouldn't that drive it home? For some reason or another, everybody in their family is elected. It's other people's families that aren't. You have those turning God's grace into lasciviousness, rebelling against God. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says this, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets, Preach, uh, teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. 
You ever hear them run down our preaching, our music, our teaching, our doctrine? 2,000 years ago, in Peter, it said that's exactly what was going to happen. And through covetousness shall they make, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them to chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Oh, yeah. God's going to judge, but he's going to judge and he's going to move in his time. Just understand, the Bible told us that was going to happen. Now, all of these have one common thing. It seems like the words grace and liberty are always applied to the flesh. Instead of being freed from these things, we're free to do those things. What are we freed from? Well, we're freed from the Holy Ghost and the Word of God being faithful to it. That's what grace and liberty that they describe is doing. How can God be holy and free you up to sin? Uh-uh. It just doesn't work that way. But that's words they've used. I've heard people that like to call themselves, uh, they, they like to question everything. And they pride themselves on being the devil's advocate. And when you question them on it, they say, well, I'm just trying to get the people to think. Why should you get the people to think when you're not thinking? And look, it is that that kind of questioning everything causes doubt. And who is the father of doubts? Satan. People don't need more doubt in their lives. They need more building up in Christ Jesus. That's what they need. And so, here they put themselves up righteously. But it's really a self-righteousness. And their words are stated in such a way to create doubt of God's words. They are the ones that are crying liberty to the flesh, grace to carry it out, denying the Spirit of God. Well, in hell, they're all gathered and they can't be gathered. And boy, we see that in verse 19. There's no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. There's no healing. Once in hell, there is no escape. And the end result of the soul who dies without Jesus Christ, the one that dies without Christ as their Lord and Savior, there's no healing of the bruise. They'll always feel it. The wound is grievous. It affects the rest of the body. And they clap their hands over them. As the Lord and his holy angels will ensure the continual torture, torment, night and day of hell. When salvation was offered so freely and it was rejected. When you could have been saved from the eternal damnation of the lake of fire. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17 again, if any man be in Christ. Now, you've got to be in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Verse 21, for he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I'm saved by his righteousness. He took my sin upon him, but I still have to receive it. Oh, what a contrast between the saved and the unsaved. Nineveh, we're told in our text, is dust. Dust. In other words, it's never seen again. In Revelation 14, verses 10 and 11, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night. We could add Revelation 20, 14, and 15. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Meaning, no more hope. In Mark chapter 9, verse 44, verse 46, verse 48, they all three say the same thing. It says there, their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. They'll never cease to exist. The fires of hell will never stop. That's the teaching of Jesus Christ himself when he was here. As a matter of fact, later in that passage in Mark, it likens the pain of hell as the salt being poured on a freshly opened wound. You ever try that? We can only imagine The clapping of the hands were often used in that day to indicate glee and mocking of a defeated enemy. In Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 15 it says, This is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly, that said in their heart, I am and there is none beside me. How is she become a desolation? A place for beasts to lie down in. Everyone that passes by her shall hiss and wag his hand. That's what lies ahead for those who die without Jesus Christ. That's why you and I are called to be a witness. But what about the contrast for the saved? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 15, 7 and 58 says, but thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be as steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Romans eight seventeen and 18. And if children, then heirs, joint heirs, joint heirs of God. And joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. Remember, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. A lot of times it's physical. A lot of other times it's mental. It's, it's rejection. It's so many other things. If we suffer with him. 
that we may also be glorified together. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. I still am amazed at that. I hope it never becomes a cold fact either. That some of the sufferings you read about, some of the sufferings you hear about that people have gone through for the name of Christ will seem minute in its greatness in comparison to the greatness of the glory they'll have throughout all eternity. Wow. Yes, it is worth it all to stand for Jesus Christ. First John 2.28 lets us know for saved people, some will be ashamed at His appearing. Others will have confidence. 1 Corinthians chapter tw- uh, 3, verses 12 through 15, describe it this way. If any man build upon this foundation, what is that foundation? Verse 11, before that said, Jesus Christ is the foundation. If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. Well, gold, silver, and precious stones do all right in the fire, but not wood, hay, and stubble. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Not talking about loss of salvation. It's talking about reward here. He shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. I think one of the reasons that we read in Revelation 21 that God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes after the white throne judgment has taken place and all that's happened and the eternal reign begins, I think that they will see not only the souls cast into the lake of fire, but all the rewards that God had already set aside for them. Remember he said in one parable, take from him that hath the one and give it to him that hath the ten. And so that brings us down to a question. Nineveh's end result is hell. Destruction. Total, complete. The saved is a great thing. But some are just saved so as by fire. So the question is, individually, we each ask ourselves, what will be the question, what will be the result that I have? I could stand here and say, How ashamed will my children be of me? How ashamed will my wife be of me? How ashamed will this church be of me at that day? But more so than that, how ashamed will my Savior who died for me be ashamed when he has done so much for me? Christian, it's all for Jesus, all for Jesus. And it is always worth it all. Always. Let's bow our heads, please.